You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we return to the monthly series, City Farming, where we talk about new ways to think about food in urban settings. This show will discuss what's happening in home gardens right now and how to avoid mistakes in your edible garden. It's my sincere pleasure to reintroduce to you Amy Turnbull from the London Middlesex Master Gardens. Welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me again. Amy, what is the London Middlesex Master Gardeners and what do they do? We're a volunteer organization um, that was started in 1985. Um, All master gardeners have a mandate of educating the public about accurate, unbiased, evidence-based gardening advice. Our job uh, as volunteers to distribute this gardening advice any way possible. And we're the oldest master gardener group in Canada as well. That's fantastic. And how do you get the designation Master Gardener? There's some university courses that you take um, to show. So we all have a similar level of education about gardening. Aside from that, we are all passionate gardeners. So it's really just a group of friends (laughs) who are um, sharing a common interest. And we love gardening so much that we love talking about it all the time. (laughs) And it seems like each master gardener has their own specialty. Like a lot of people are great knowledge resources. That's really great. And it's springtime. And what's happening in home gardening right now? It is a very busy time of year. (laughs) Right now, we are after our last frost date, which means that we are planting all the crops in the garden now. So you wait until the average last frost date in order to plant out those sensitive plants like peppers and tomatoes, eggplants, squashes and melons. All of those can't withstand a frost. So we have to wait until after that last frost date. So those are being planted now because the warm weather is here to stay and we are in our growing season. And then there's also for people that have planted early crops like lettuce, spinach, onions back in the end of April, those now need weeding. So there's two conflicting issues in the garden. You're trying to plant as much as possible and you're also trying to weed those other crops that are already in the ground. Never a dull day in the garden. And that's such an important thing you mentioned after the last frost date. You know, small plants can't take those extreme colds and you need to know what plants can withstand and what can't. Because as you had said, some things have been planted since the end of April. So great resources and where to find what you can plant right now. Go to the London Master Gardeners website. And or find a London master gardener or someone in your community who is an avid gardener who can help you out. My next question, is it too late to get started now if you haven't planted any seeds or seedlings yet? No, you still have options. You always have options because our gardening season here in the London area is quite forgiving. There's cool season plants that like to grow in cool weather. And when it turns hot like this, they bolt they get really tall and they go to seed because they're done those are things like spinach lettuce a lot of leafy greens do that they really like the cool weather in spring and fall like september and october and they can also withstand a frost so it's too late to plant those for spring because it's just too hot the soil's too warm like spinach won't germinate well now because it's just too warm but you can plant it in the fall you could start those again in september and have a fall crop 
for the plants that like the warm weather, like the tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, you could get started plants. There's a lot of nurseries that sell plants, especially if you just want one or two. Um, you could also, for tomatoes, start them as seeds now. They grow so fast when it's warm like this. And that's kind of nice because you have your tomatoes throughout the season. And it's wonderful when it's harvest and, and we've all had neighbors like, take my tomatoes or here's my zucchinis or whatever it is that there's been an overabundance, which is wonderful. But it's also great to sort of pace the maturity, especially of tomatoes, to have those delicious fruits all season long. So really great to know that it's not too late, that you can still plant tomatoes and peppers and other things, certain lettuces. Um, will will do well now, but stay away from some of the leafy greens like spinach and, and kale as well. It's a little too warm for them. So that's something to look forward to in the fall. And I'm dying to know, Amy, what did you plant this year? Oh, I always do a mix of the tried and true varieties. These are ones that I plant every year. They produce well. I love that my family loves the taste of them. They're easy to grow. And then I always mix in new varieties because I'm always trialing new varieties. I find a lot of gardeners are like that. We're experimenters. We're always getting new types of vegetables to grow, new varieties. Um, so as an example, um, for tomatoes, I always grow a this one type of disease-resistant paste tomato. It's called um, plum regal. It, so we get a lot of diseases that come in on the weather, and it's disease-resistant. So I always get a crop off it. Tomatoes is an area where we're starting to see almost every color of the rainbow. You know, the more purple ones, certainly the yellow ones, some of the green ones, which are ripe. And um, heirloom tomatoes became a really big thing, maybe 10 years ago, maybe even earlier than that. But we're really getting interested in our tomatoes. And certainly plum tomatoes have a completely different function. They're not as juicy. So they're good for certain sauces and whatnot. So this is just tomatoes. And, and the story goes on with other vegetable items that we can grow in our own, either planters, our patios, our, our windowsills, or in gardens, if we're lucky enough to have space. Yes, and I must say I am super excited about this new sweet potato. That's the new thing in my garden. There's a new sweet potato that was bred in Vineland, uh, the research station down by Niagara. Um, it's bred for the Ontario climate. It was taste tested against a whole bunch of other potential sweet potato varieties. Taste tested on the Ontario consumer. So it's the best variety. It's supposed to have a wonderful taste, deep orange color. It's called Radiance. And it was just released this year for um, a wider um, public growth. So it was very hard to get. So I have a few of those coming and I'm so excited about it. There's just so many functions to um, add to your variety and healthy pattern of eating with sweet potatoes. It's just so exciting. And you can just tell the energy around home gardening and master gardeners and the excitement of contributing to the life of a plant and the evolution, which then it, it it sustains your life as you eat it and um, take the nutrients from the food. It's just so exciting. And I'm wondering, Amy, it is a new season, obviously. What do you love most about the new season? There's a lot of things to like. The, the first of everything that you get in the new season from your garden is always just the best. So I, the first leaf of lettuce that I tore off a lettuce plant in the garden was the best lettuce that I've had all year. <laughs> and it's like that for anyone. <laughs> so at the first of everything, the first spinach, the first onion, it's all great. The taste, the texture, like it's just so fresh. You can't get that 
when you go to a store, like you've picked it just moments before. Those firsts that you talked about, and it's not like we can plan it, you know, we can say, okay, we're going to have a special dinner. It's going to be at this date and it's going to be at this time. doesn't really work that way. We kind of know maybe around when the onion will be ready or slightly when we can plan on our first tomato, but depending on mother nature and the sun and the rain, and it, it's, it's sort of like on its own schedule. And I think that that's sort of part of the surprise and the excitement too. It's like, oh, okay, we thought maybe it was going to be Saturday, but it's actually Wednesday. And here's our first tomatoes. They're ripe. They're perfect. So it's really, um, it helps us connect. We are part of the harmony of nature. And it's just such an exciting uh, time that I think, and, you know, funny things happening in the gardens with uh, what mother nature does. I've seen various uh um, vegetables have all kinds of like funny faces. And I think it's the Ilderton fair where they have some of the garden items that have taken on interesting forms and it's a category in the competitions out in an agricultural fair, not far from here. So what's one of the funniest things that you've had happen as a master gardener? Um, as a master gardener. So like acting in that capacity, I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was giving a presentation at CD Saturday. So I was in my third trimester, very big. And I was wearing a green, like a green dress. And I overheard somebody in the audience say that Mother Earth was giving a presentation. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought they're talking about soil and it's all dressed in green. And there you were. <laughs> So you were Mother Earth. I'm I'm sure that that was very welcome. You know, what a compliment. <laughs> but certainly funny. You were probably just, okay, this fits. Let's go. And then it was uh, seemed like thematically significant to your viewers. That that, that is a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. After the break, we'll talk about mistakes to avoid in your edible garden with Amy Turnbull from the London Middlesex Master Gardeners. This is Food for the Future. And I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. We're speaking about mistakes to avoid in your edible garden with Amy Turnbull, Master Gardener from the London Middlesex Master Gardeners. Let's start with the basics on what is an edible garden? It's a broad category and people can take it in different directions. An edible garden at its core would be a garden with edible plants and plant parts in it. And I think importantly, the absence of toxic plants, because there are some plants that we grow in our flower gardens that are quite poisonous. I think any edible garden, um, even if it had mixed in non-edible plants, they would have no toxic plants. But it could be containers on a balcony. It could be raised beds. It could be a curb with the foodscaping, so you're landscaping with edible plants, or it could be a traditional type garden that's just rows in the soil. A lot of different interpretations. Okay, that's really great because we hear the word garden and we think, okay, we have to have land or we have to have a household or whatnot. But really, it is many things, as you said, it's it's pots on our patio, um, it's our community, and we're in the City of London has just revamped and made it easier on some of the policies. And you can go to the City of London website to find out more about that around, as you had mentioned, foodscaping. So it's not as much the ornamental flowers and plants, but things that look pretty but we can eat them as well. So that's what an edible garden is. It's things that we can eat and consume. And what are some of the common mistakes that either the new or seasoned gardener makes around edible gardens? For everybody, it's important to remember that gardening 
is a process. It's every year is a new chance and you're going to make mistakes. New gardeners should have um, tempered expectations. You know, if you have really high expectations about your garden, you might be let down by your first season. If a new gardener is just starting out, you want to grow varieties that are easy, easy to grow, quick to yield. Some things are just harder than others. Some plants are temperamental. They don't like their roots to be disturbed, like fennel and celeriacs. You wouldn't want to grow those celery. Don't grow those as a new gardener because they are hard to grow and they take a long time. Even things like um, eggplants take a long time to grow. If you're a new gardener, focusing on leafy greens like lettuce and spinach, even rapini, like a type of broccoli, it grows very quickly and it gives you a lot. Peas are easy to grow. Corn is pretty easy, but it takes a lot of space. Green beans, they're fantastic because they give you a lot of beans and they're easy to grow. So growing the right things is important and planting it at the right time. That's where reading the seed package is important because you can't plant radishes now. They will give you a scrawny little root and they'll be flowering and there'll be bugs in that scrawny little root. So it's important to read the seed packages. Lack of weed control at the beginning of the season, like right now, the weeds are growing fast and the weeds grow faster than our vegetables and their leaves expand faster. So they just shade your vegetables. And if you don't get the weeds out, then your vegetables are going to suffer. Um, anytime there's a mismatch between your environment, like the soil, the water and the sunlight and the varieties you're growing, that is an issue that I think a lot of people make, especially in the city where it might be hard to have full sunlight for six hours, which you need to grow a lot of the fruits like tomatoes and peppers. They need a lot of sun. That's really, really good advice. And a shout out to all those celery growers out there that uh, <laughs> uh, way to go. But to expand a little bit on some of the um, pitfalls or things that you can be over anxious on, or maybe a little too hesitant on um, addressing in the garden is one of the things you mentioned was sun exposure. And it's really important, as you said, as a growing factor. And do you have any advice to help listeners get it just right as they think about their edible gardens? If somebody had a shady backyard, you may want to consider container gardening and putting tomatoes, um, peppers, eggplants, anything that you're growing a fruit. So a flower comes, it gets pollinated, and then that flower develops into a fruit. That plant needs a lot of sunlight to do that and usually we're looking for a sweet product like tomatoes you need the sunlight so that it's sweet and same with peppers move those somewhere where they can get enough sunlight so six hours is the minimum or if that's not possible if you just where you happen to be gardening is just shady and that's the only space you have there's still a lot you can grow anything that's leafy so where you're growing leaves like a lot of brassicas like mustards arugula um, those are in the brassica family, like related to broccoli. They do well in shade. Root vegetables like potatoes can take some shade. You won't get as many potatoes as if they were in the sunlight, but they still will give you potatoes and sweet potatoes um, can do it with more shade. Okay, that sounds really good. So minimum six hours of sun for the things that love sun. 
and thinking about if there's no way to, you know, reconfigure your space, even if it's a container to, I guess, on the package or on the plant um, where you're buying the seedling, there would be information about that, that you could help predict your success in your sunlight. So that's really great tips in terms of the sun exposure and how to get it just right. And you had also mentioned in some of the mistakes that come up for new or seasoned gardeners is really understanding the nature of the soil and how critical it is to a plant's life. Amy, what do we do to know about our soil and, and how do we found out, find out about the nature of the soil we're working with? There's two main um, ways to look at your soil, uh, I think. The, the first is soil texture, and that's the physical components of the, the rocks in the soil. The soil at its very core come from eroded rocks. The soil texture is either, it's a mix of sand, silt, and clay particles are the smallest and they're just like dust. They complete, mm -hmm. They're completely smooth. So those three different components, sand, silt, and clay, that is what your soil is made of, some variation of that or some mix. There is something called the soil texture triangle because that soil texture is really important in determining how water drains from your soil, how plants grow. Like a lot of vegetable plants like um, the sandier side of that spectrum rather than the clay end of it. So there's a soil test you can do at home where you just take some soil and you put it in a mason jar with some water you shake it all up and then you just let it settle for several days. And then you can measure the different layers that form. The sand is the biggest particle and it settles out first. So you have a layer of sand on the very bottom and then a silt layer and then a clay layer. You just measure how um, wide each of those layers are. And then you can find on the soil texture triangle what your soil's composition is. And that's really important for you. And you can't alter that. There's nothing you can do to alter the soil texture. Soil structure is the other component of your soil. The soil structure is how those particles interact with each other, how they form little aggregates. And it's really a function of how much organic matter you have in your garden. So really great factors to consider and a great way to find out what the nature and structure of your soil is. That's great. Amy, what is companion planting and why is it an important factor in planting an edible garden? Companion planting means different things to different people. I think traditionally companion planting involves planting different types of vegetables or flowers with each other with the belief that they will enhance the growth of each other and avoiding some combinations of plants because they are seen to be detrimental. For other people on companion planting can be as simple as planting um, a plant like a flower that will attract pollinators next to a vegetable that needs pollinating. That is tried and true. If you live in the city and you may not have that many pollinators, you may have to attract them to your garden. And a good way to do that is with some nice showy flowers that are pollinated by insects and then planting those next to your tomato plants or your eggplants that need pollinating, but otherwise might not be that attractive to pollinators. And you mentioned raised beds and they're gaining popularity. Are there some quick tips that you have around um, success with raised beds? Well, it's important with raised beds to consider why you want them. Sometimes people put in raised beds because they are quite popular. So you want to, there are a lot of work to install and they can be costly. So you want to make sure that you are 
picking raised beds because they're best for you or your situation. So sometimes people use them because of accessibility. It helps to raise the soil up so that it's easier for people that can't come down to the ground. And because you're not walking on that soil, you're not compacting it. And the soil structure is excellent. This show is called Food for the Future. And how are edible gardens and growing some of your own food part of our future? Um, Food that you grow at home has less embodied carbon than any food you'd buy in a store. So there's no transport costs. There's no carbon associated with that. There's no packaging. So if you save your own seed and plant that, um, there's no packaging associated with the seed. So lower carbon food. Um, It's important for food security. So you're maintaining that knowledge and learning that knowledge of how to grow food and even if it's not a significant contribution of energy like kilojoules to your diet the food you grow still is an important source of micronutrients and vitamins and do you have any final thoughts for us amy on uh, that you'd like to share with listeners even if you haven't started growing any seeds or plants this year it is not too late you can start growing some warm season plants now or start planting your fall garden. Wonderful. So we sort of get a metaphor for all the human virtues in the garden, you know, the promise, the hope that there's always a future. What a, what a positive thing to think about as we're gardening. Amy, thank you very much for sharing your expertise today. I learned so much and I can't wait to get growing something this season. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Amy Turnbull from the London Middlesex Master Gardeners. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about. What could you grow at home this season? Something to do? Visit LondonMiddlesexMasterGardeners.com to find out more practical and ecological advice from our community's expert gardeners. Next week on the show, we return to the series Back to the Future. We'll talk about your place at the table with Diane O'Shea, retired farmer and family studies teacher and Ontario home economist. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 830 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.